Get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s, from great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall, and she is a professor in graduate social work at St. Louis Un- or St. Leo University. My mistake. And we're going to talk about trauma in childhood today because, you know, Lisa, it's it's a conversation that I think we need to have because, of course, you know, we've got all these things with the school shootings, but but beyond that, there's a lot of adults walking around today, myself included, that, you know, have traumatic memories. They have trauma from childhood that, you know, I worked through mine with, with a therapist because it was really holding me back, but it's so prevalent in our society and it and it lasts a lifetime. So I'm really glad we're having this conversation today. Absolutely. Um, We used to just think it was, oh, maybe a rough patch during childhood or, you know, people will just get over it somehow. But really, studies have found that it's much more than that. And it really can have serious short and long term consequences throughout our lifetime. So it's really worth chatting about. It is, it is, because some of our practices, you know, I think about, you know, as, as silly as this sounds, I think about, you know, when I was teaching swimming, and I, I taught swimming, you know, I don't know, seven or eight years of my life on and off, and when I was in my 20s, I could always tell with my adult swimmers, you know, what parent had whipped their kid and tossed them into school, and or tossed them into the pool and told them, that's how you learn how to swim. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see the fear, I could see, you know, and... You know, when I first started teaching, I thought, oh, you know, wow, these adults can't swim. Like, you know, they must be somebody that lived not near a pool or a lake. Or, you know, I'm kind of making up all these narratives in my head. And then they're like, oh, no, we had a pool. I'm like, really? You had a pool and you can't swim? And it was because some knucklehead father threw him in the deep end. And guess what? You can't naturally swim when somebody throws you in and you have a giant 15-pound head and the rest of your body is 40 pounds. You drop to the bottom of the pool like a lead sinker. And, um, you know, and that's like, you know, a kind of a tongue-in-cheek, you know, trauma thing. But there are people that carry that fear of swimming just from that one experience for a lifetime. And it impedes their ability to enjoy the ocean, to go to the beach, to go for a boat ride, to go into a pool party. I mean, it's crazy that one simple thing like that would cause someone to change their behavior for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a really good example, actually, of just traumatic things that happen that we do carry with us. We don't forget these. Our bodies don't forget the fear or the lack of trust or or the shock of it all. And studies have found that 
it's an accumulation of a bunch of these events that really can place us at risk. So another way to say it is the stronger the dose of traumatic events that we've been exposed to, the higher the risk we have for developing serious problems, physical problems, psychological problems, social problems. Um, It's pretty amazing what they've found now. And emotional problems, you know. Absolutely. All these things, you know, they're like like a lion with a paw. You know, he's got his paw and he's got a thorn in it. And there's one trauma. And then, you know, you stick another thorn in there. So he's like, okay, I got these thorns in my paw, the traumas. He's like, well, I'm going to walk and I'm not going to walk on that paw. So he curls his paw in and he, he kind of puts it in his armpit to, to keep it safe. Then he gets a thorn in another paw. And the, the more thorns he gets in, all of a sudden he can't walk. And then he's got to drag himself. And, you know, I watch people in my sphere of influence um, avoid things incredibly I mean incredible like choices they will make to avoid just coming close to that sore paw which is to me the trauma it's the traumatic memory mm-hmm. the traumatic feeling and you know for anybody who who doubts the the severity of what we're talking about you know i have friends who refuse to go to the ocean and we live in southern california they won't even go near there and then guess what they don't want their kids to go there either Right. So now we have one fear that manifests into, you know, three kids learning we have to be so afraid of X, Y, and Z. You can't go near the water. You can't go near the ocean. You can't go. You can't. You can't. You can't. And now we have two generations traumatized by the same event. Absolutely. And that's where that intergenerational trauma occurs. Um, And we know that when things happen to children, you know, 0 to 18, that's even more serious because children are more sensitive to trauma than adults. We're, we have more of a capacity and the cognitive and emotional abilities, we hope, to be able to withstand a little bit better some trauma. But when uh, traumas happen, you know, during childhood, um, that's a much different scenario. Um, and they're finding so many problems later on. And like you were mentioning, Sandra, about, you know, the water as an example. How about those who won't uh, take a risk and have relationships anymore because they've been hurt and traumatized so badly um, or because of violence in their childhood? So all of those are other examples as well. Well, yeah, I chose a benign one just to show people, you know, what it looks like. Because I think also, um, you know, this is like a a terrible phrase, but I heard it yesterday at my son's volleyball game. And it just brought back so many memories from me. You know, one of the kids got got smacked in the head with the ball. And, you know, in an era of um, concussions in high school Mm -hmm. sports, you would hope everybody would run over. But no one did. Um, And I heard the dad go, suck it up buttercup and you know i mean he got whacked a good one this wasn't Uh just a little you know like a bump you know like a little ball bump on the head this was a good smack and i could see it rung his bell he was kind of looking around going like what happened to me and there's a physical trauma there there's a physical physical manifestation of that but you know I looked at the reaction of the parent going, okay, so when that child is hurt, when that child is sad, when that child is whatever, 
is he just taught right there to deny his feelings. Like, he couldn't even go out and put his hand up. Because right. right out of that dad's mouth was, suck it up, buttercup. Like, you know, you better be tough. You better not, you know, shed a tear. Mm-hmm. You better not flinch. And I, I just, I wanted so bad to go and take that volleyball and just pound it into the dad's head. Just so I could <laughs> say, like, suck it up, buttercup. Right. <laughs> you know. Right, but- yeah. Just the lack of empathy or nurturing for that child compounded onto that physical injury you know and the embarrassment maybe or whatever yes. in, in front of everyone so just compounded and the child's probably not going to forget that for a good long time so definitely these are the kind of things that kind of add up and we're starting to change our outlook on it from you know thinking about what's wrong with that person to what happened to, happened that, to person. that person yeah that's right. You know what, you know, cause I see this in, in my middle school with my younger kids. There's, you know, there's one little boy who's, he's, he's a handful. I mean, he's a handful even for me and I like this kid. And, you know, a couple of the moms on Facebook were talking about this kid without naming him going, you know, this kid is, this kid's a bad kid. This kid has, you know, and so I just chimed in and I said, you know, this quote unquote, and I put quotes on bad kid. You realize that in the past year, his parents divorced, his mom moved in with a new family. The dad moved in with a new family. This kid has now two sets of stepbrothers and stepsisters, not official. They all go to the same same school so i said did anybody ever think this kid's got a lot to deal with on his plate and that was like crickets like right (laughs) you you hit on to it and and helping them to change the way they're thinking and that's just in the span of one year for a child that's a lot to take in so uh you're you're on the right track that these these are really potent you know events and we found that so many problems can come from these these events um alcoholism and alcohol abuse later on drug use um financial problems being at risk for further violence or perpetrating violence and even health risks like COPD, heart disease, liver disease, cancer, as well as depression, suicide attempts, and the list goes on and on, and it culminates with studies actually finding that a large number of these adverse events have actually been found to reduce life expectancy, some cases, by 20 years. Wow. That's amazing. Um, And just really hard to wrap our brains around, but... You know, if this is a young man's just one year, what happened prior to that? What will happen later that? How many adverse events will he suffer before he reaches 18? Well, and you think of, you know, like I always go back to there's such simple, simple wisdom in a lot of our, you know, like our proverbs or our, our statements. And, you know, you hear about the thing, well, he died of a broken heart, mm-hmm. you know. It's like, okay, here's this little boy, you know, he's 11 years old. I can I can look at him and tell you his heart is broken. His heart is broken wide open with these divorces and the parents moving on so quickly. And who knows if they break up in a year and then he gets a new family and a new set of step-siblings. And, you know, you're just talking about consistently breaking, you know, this kid's heart. And then we're somehow surprised when he acts out or when he picks up a gun or he does things that we find, quote-unquote, socially 
socially unacceptable, but we've created a culture of intolerance. And, you know, that's that's what has to change. So I, I'm going to take us to commercial break. We're visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall. The topic today is trauma in childhood. And I guess the hope that I have, Lisa, for today's show is that anybody listening will, you know, give someone a chance to find out, you know, what happened to someone, not what's wrong with them. And, and, and give them maybe some love and compassion because if everybody just does a little bit we can change this trend of just finger pointing and there's something wrong with you so we'll be back after the break Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Got my dreams, got my life, got my love. Got my friends, got the sunshine above. Why am I making this hard on myself when there's so many beautiful reasons I have to be happy? It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's marching Did you hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bona fide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become Bruxelmaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A Bruxelmaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. 
Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall, and we are talking today about childhood trauma. And, you know, Lisa, you know, the word trauma, you know, is is such a wide, it's such a wide word. It's like, you know, like the word snow and the Eskimos have a hundred different words for the different types of snow. There's like a hundred different descriptions for trauma. And what could be traumatic to you may not be at all traumatic to me and vice versa. And the same is true for our children. And just because you don't think something's a big deal doesn't mean it's a big deal to that child. And I think about this little boy, you know, that we talked about that the face group was kind of harsh and on, um, you know, he gets a new stepmother and a new stepfather. He gets two step brother and sister on one side and two stepbrothers on the other. So he went from being a kid with one brother to now being one of six, if the math is correct. Um, I would say that's traumatic for me, but his brother seems to be handling it a lot better than he is. So same kids, same parents, same situation, completely different responses. And I want to talk about responses because kids don't articulate in a way adults do when they're struggling. Right. When kids are struggling, they're going to show us in some way. And let's face it, kids don't have a wide repertoire of what they can do. Um, They're not going to raise their hand and say, I would like to make a counseling appointment for Tuesday. That's what adults do, hopefully, maybe. Um, But kids are going to show us with usually their behavior in some way, and they're trying to let us know that they're struggling. And if we can pay attention and get them some help, especially early is best, then we may be able to offset some later problems. But that can look like so many different things depending on the child. So we really have to be kind of paying attention. So some of the things could be differences in their academics. So you could see grades dropping or they're not turning in homework or skipping school or something, talking back, not following directions at school. Or I'm going to jump in and give you a flip side of that because that was one of the things when my kids were in the social work arena, they kept saying, well, you know, your kids are good grades, your kids are good grades. My kids went to hyper-focused good grades. They had to have an A plus because they had to control that. Like, you know, there's warning signs on either side of the spectrum. Like, I'm just going to jump in and say, it's an aberration of their typical behavior. My kids were A students, you know, I might get a B here and there like that. And then the little one went to, I have to get an A plus in everything. I have to get an A plus mom. I have to get my homework done. I have to get, and that was the one thing he could control. It became almost like an eating disorder. It was a homework disorder. If we got one thing wrong on a spelling test, that was a crisis that's the way he dealt with it very different than my older son who let his grades slip and let you know homework uh, who cares who cares so you know it's it's like an aberration of their typical behavior absolutely yeah Um, we could see them acting out but we can also see them becoming quiet and isolated or sad and depressed We could see problems with their friends who they usually are getting along with very well. Um, There could be, you know, suicide talk or extra violent talk, um, even trying alcohol or drugs or bullying others. So I think you're right to say that 
when we're paying attention, we see different behavior than what we're used to seeing from that child, then that's when we know it's probably time to get some assistance. Yeah, like when when I was uh, getting divorced, my little like I used to call my little Buddha, my little Buddha baby. He was so zen and so chill. All of a sudden, he kept telling his little friends like, and you know he was like four or five years old. But you know he they would be playing with the matchbox cars and these Thomas trains with these tracks, and he was like, "You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right." You know, and I'm like, "Whoa!" Like Buddha baby just became control freak, and you know. Kids try to control, exert control when they can, when they feel out of control. And divorce or a death is a real good proving ground to to make a kid spin out of control. Absolutely. That is true. That is true. And sometimes we see differences in girls and boys. So that's another thing that we can think about. You know, sometimes girls tend to keep that inside, um, maybe talking only with friends or showing more sadness. Um, sometimes boys do act out a little bit more, but it just depends. It really depends on that child and the situation. But what it's really telling us is that they're kind of over their limit, their capacity for managing that stress and that trauma. Right. And, you know, sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not obvious. Like, you know, when when Jack Jack died, he was four when he died. And his sister Sophie, you know, was two years older and had a lot of different behaviors. But it was easy for all of us parents to go, oh, well, you know, Sophie's grieving. Sophie's struggling. You know, the Sophie's got this because there was a big obvious reason. So everybody right. was able to find compassion for this little girl with, you know, these behaviors that may or may not be um, acceptable. Mm -hmm. And everybody gave her a wide berth because, you know, her brother just died of cancer and what a trauma for the family. And, you know, that was kind of an easy one for people to understand, but like divorce is so prevalent or, you know, a grandparent dying, like my one son was really cleaved to my mom, you know, very, very close to my mom. So he struggled a lot more than the other one when my grandma died. Mm -hmm. And again, that was obvious. But then there's the, you know, like the invisible wounds, there's the invisible traumas that may or may not be visible to the public, you know, there's no big divorce, there's no big death or drama, but there's quiet alcoholism, there might be mental illness, there might be a kid struggling in the family, and, you know, the younger's having a hard time dealing with it. I've seen this a lot with my kids friends who hang out in my house all the time they come and they lay their troubles down in my kitchen they're like miss sandra i gotta tell you blah, 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 you know and then they go to school and they say hey it's all cool it's fine yeah yeah there are a lot of secret traumas and a lot of our you know most difficult traumas that studies have found are those very ones that we keep secrets or families keep secrets about could be emotional abuse or physical abuse neglect sexual abuse um parental or domestic violence um, you mentioned substance abuse in the family or mental illness in the family. 
separation and divorce, that's a little bit more out there, but, um, or a, or a member of the family going to prison. A lot of these traumas that really cause significant pain are those hidden secret things that families may want to keep quiet, are embarrassed about, um, don't want to let anyone know that this happened in their household. And that secretiveness makes it even more traumatic and hard, especially for the child to, to handle. Well, and, and, you know, with class sizes the way they are, you know, I saw this thing on Facebook the other day um, that one of my teacher friends posted, and she's like, you know, you want to arm teachers. She says, arm them with classroom sizes small enough so we can actually get to know the kids. And that, to me, was was so profound because, you know, in order for me to have this insight into my kids' friends' lives, A, I have a pool in Southern California, which makes me very popular, but it it allows them to come over and relax and swim in the pool and kind of chill and, and, and talk to me, but that takes time. It takes time for me to get to know these kids. It takes time for me to get these kids to trust me so I can talk with them, and I, I, I am a person of trust for them. But that's taken years. And when you've got a classroom size of 36 students, there's no way. There is no, no way you can get to know these kids. And then you're managing, you're just managing the after effects. You're managing the bad behavior in class, the, the poor choices in the classroom. And what do we do? We send the kid to the office. There's no in-house mental health counselors for most of the schools. I don't know how it is out by you, but, but it's not, there's not budget money for a lot of this stuff. So you got little time bombs running around the school. Yeah, the teachers really are just trying to manage, like you said, the behaviors. And then, of course, they're trying to teach, you know, just that little thing, too. As we, you know, just trying to teach them everything they need to know for an entire year and all the testing. And then they're working with few resources, like you said, social workers, counselors, mental health, aides, etc., in the school to assist. So it, it really is about not having enough time. And I, I think it's wonderful that you are able to connect with those kids, Sandra, and just being non-judgmental, just listening, just being supportive and positive. That goes so far. Um, I think we could all, you know, do our little bit just like you're doing and really help a lot. You don't have to do anything. That's the thing. Like, you know, it's funny. One of the moms said to me, she's like, oh, you're so good with kids. Oh, you're so good with kids. You know, I shut up. I just right. sit there and I don't judge them because the other thing, you know, and I want to talk about this when we get back from the break is thoughts are not our reality. Thoughts are not truth. Thoughts are just thoughts. And we can think some thoughts and we can think something different tomorrow, but expressing those thoughts have a having an opportunity to say them out loud it gives everybody so much peace and if you can just listen to kids a lot of times they have what they need to solve these things they just need somebody to listen to them and look them in the eye and look up for your phone and say you matter so we're visiting today with uh lisa rap mccall and we're talking about trauma in childhood and i want to talk about how long does it take trauma to sink in because i think there's things we can do to help our kids who are being traumatized to fare a little better. We'll be back after the break. Listen as 
Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Riles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. It's words you never heard. Big girls don't cry, right? According to a recent Wall Street Journal article by Dennis Nishi, there's a stigma attached to turning on the waterworks at the office. 61% of men who reported crying at work cited personal reasons, an illness in the family, the death of a pet is the catalyst, while 58% of women said it was something that happened at work. Being unfairly blamed or criticized, men are like mascara. They run at the first sign of hubaboo. That's another word for crying. What's the word for the fear of intense emotion? Zellophobia. Women may have a better excuse for crying than men, as females have higher levels of prolactin, which encourages the production of tears, making it easier to be known as a lacrimist or someone who cries at the drop of a hat. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, Zadie, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCollin. We're talking about childhood trauma and however the child interprets that trauma and what it means to them. And, you know, Lisa, by a product of my job and my lifestyle and, you know, me being a single mom in a community of, of very heavily married conservative families, I'm a little bit of an oddity. I didn't want it to make it sound that I'm so great and, oh, look, I help all these kids. Kids come to my house because I'm the oddity. 
oddball. You know, there's no dad. It's kind of a free-for-all with kids. I really don't care what my house looks like, and people can swim in the pool and lay around on the furniture. And I also have the big van that, um, and I work from home, so I'm picking up kids and dropping them off all the time. So as a function of that, I get to be around a lot of kids in very unique ways. And the boys, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? The, the Boy Scouts help me with my Toys for Tots party in the house. And so a lot of kids coming in and out. And one of the things that I've noticed with these kids is um, they just need someone to see them. There's so many of them are struggling. And I had a little boy in my house for three months when his mom got injured in Australia and the dad was on deployment. And the little boy said, I want to go live at Miss Sandra's house. So I'm like, oh, sure, I'll take him in. Um, you know, the more the merrier. And it changed the dynamic in my family so much because this kid was like the swing vote. If Zach was having a bad day, he'd go hang with Zach. If Max was having a good day, he'd go hang with Max. And then we would sit down at the dinner table and we'd all talk about our day and I'd cook whatever. And, you know, we would just eat and talk. And he would say things like, Miss Sandra, he goes, I love dinners at your house. And I'm like, really? You like the food? He goes, no. He goes, I like that you, you talk to me. And I thought to myself, I said, well, what do you mean? You know, what did I talk to you? And he's like, there's no phones. There's no work. There's no, and I get it. Parents got to work. You know, people have things to do. But, you know, I just thought about that. Like, there's no phones. Like, uh-huh. you know, do you think that a lot of our problems today are because of, not all of them, but some of them because parents' faces are in the phones, they're texting their friends, they're not really present, and there's kids that are present who need that parent's attention. Like, And if the parent can't do it, you know, to have this little boy go, like, I really appreciate this. He's 14 now, and he still comes by my house, gives me a hug, and, and sits down and says, what's, to, what's, the, what's there to eat? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, kids really need that nurturing. They need just time and attention from adults. They need to be validated and heard, and they need to be given, you know, positivity and confidence boosting. And then, you know, sometimes they need a little advice or a little course correction here and there. But I've had similar experiences when my, you know, daughter's friend would come over and I you know, she thought we were going to eat in front of the TV with the, I said, no, no, we turn the TV off and we all come sit at a table and we have a conversation and we eat and we listen to each other. And I mean, her eyes just got huge. Like, really? Like, what do you, she just did not understand the concept. And I think that's just one simple way, but even when we're busy and we're working and we have to do what we have to do as adults, we need to find that time that it's just with the kids listening, being non-judgmental and just supportive. Um, it's it's really a necessity to growing up and to helping them learn that they're loved and nurtured. It's how we show them empathy and how they learn to be empathic to other human beings, learn to trust other people and feel safe. All of those are really necessities for kids. 
Well, and it starts young because I used to commute from my office, uh, my home to my office in Beverly Hills, and it was a bad commute. It was like an hour on a good day, and I had the kids in the carpool lane. I used to call it the Screaming Baby Express. I'm like, okay, the Screaming <laughs> Baby Express is leaving. And, you know, my older one was about four, and he goes, Mom, I hate that black thing. And I go, what's my black thing? And I'm thinking, I got a lot of black things. I work in corporate America. I got a black you know, suitcase. I got a briefcase. And he's like, that black thing, that black thing. And, you know, and it was my Blackberry. Mm. And I was like, I was so blown away because I would be on my phone the whole commute down, the whole commute back, returning phone calls. You know, I got two dueling screaming babies, the dueling banjos in the back seat, and I'm in the carpool lane. There's not anything I can do about it. And nobody was dying. It's not like they were starving to death or, you know, one of them had a diaper on. So it's like, okay, can you can handle it for, you know, the 15 minutes till I get off the exit, you know, safely. Right. So, you know, I wasn't being neglectful, but he was like three, four years old. And he's like, I hate that black thing. And it was like he was even that young to recognize that that black thing was taking me away from him. And not that we have to be available to our kids 24-7. But I will say, like, I say this a lot in my house, Lisa. I say things like, okay, I'm putting my phone down. You must put your phone down, and we need to have a conversation. And it's only five minutes about volleyball how'd you do how did you play what did you think about it what was the score you know did you feel good about blah 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 whatever it is and then you know what after 15 minutes go back to your phone i'll go back to my phone and we can move on it's not like you have to spend hours upon hours but that kid needs to know hey you're important enough for me to set this aside for this amount of time for me to just talk to you and that's 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 the that's like the magic ticket right Right. You you got it. To know that they're important enough to have your attention, you know, like you said, just could be 10 minutes to have your attention so that they can tell you what went on or get you up to date on this or what Jimmy said or any of it. But it it's so important. And those things are so extra important the zero to five years of age they've found so that's when they really are you know pretty needy but it's really important and it's going to pay off later um, especially later on as they start getting into adolescence that connection and that trust and support with parent is really going to prove to be beneficial to keep them away from some of the things that are going to come into their lives in adolescence, you know, sex and drugs and alcohol and other kinds of a million things. So it's so, so important for, it's like feeding, feeding them and feeding those little brains that they have. And their hearts. Yes. You know, you can look at these kids, you know, you know, next time you're at the pickup line at school, you know, watch the kids walk out of school, you know, and they all have these like, you know, ridiculously heavy backpacks on. But you can look at the kids whose heads are down, whose shoulders are hunched, who, you know, they just they they do this like to me, they do the sad walk. You know, and it's like, what is so sad in your life in third grade? And then what a surprise that in fifth grade or sixth grade, this kid is acting out like, you know, but it's about, but you got to be off your phone to see these things. You got to be not standing by the flagpole with the mean flagpole moms in my town who just stand around the flagpole and talk about each other. You know, you've got to actually be paying attention to these kids. And, you know, it's the same 20 parents at least in my school, and I don't know how it is with you, it's the same 20 parents paying attention to everything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the same way in my daughter's school as well. And we've kind of clung together, so we interact and use each other as support for each other and then to know things about these teenagers, what's going on, what's not going on. So I found it to be great to have that supportive network myself with these mothers and my daughter obviously has those friends. So um, it takes a village and it's it's really helpful. And especially we have to be paying attention if these kids have gone through anything. Like we said, some of these traumatic events or things we didn't think were as traumatic, if we're not paying attention, we're going to miss the signs. And like you brought up earlier, Sandra, um, the earlier that we can intervene or work with that child, um, the better off before that gets deep-rooted, that trauma or another trauma happens. Um, it's really essential. Well, in the trauma training that I had for my kids, um, the therapist had me sit down with them to say, okay, well, you know, let's talk about whatever. And my one son could talk eyeball to eyeball. He liked to sit at the kitchen table. We could talk over a sandwich or we could just talk over like, you know, even a glass of water. It's just some, something he wanted that one-on-one eyeball to eyeball. My other one freaked him out like to no end. So we would sit down and I would sit next to him while he played Super Mario. And then we'd start playing and then I would introduce like, hey, so, you know, what ha- what's going on at whatever, what's, you know, mm-hmm. and he would talk and talk and I'm like, wow, like, you know, how was that? I didn't say like, how did that make you feel? You know, all that therapy right. talk that drove my kids nuts. And I'm like, wow, you know, you know, tell me about that. You know, that's such a simple one. Tell me about that. And, you know, when he got into middle school, it was more the snarky, what do you want to know? But when they're, you know, when they're right. little, you just go, wow, tell me about that. You know, they start mm-hmm. unfolding. And when you can validate that they're okay and they're safe now and that they, what they went through, you know, like they handled it well and they, you know, I'm so proud of you for telling me about it. You know, I think about the time a kid coded at the step family's house in the driveway from alcohol poisoning. It really frightened both of my kids. So in doing this, kind of discovery with them it was very non-judgmental it was like hey wow you took your brother and went in the room and shut the door so he wouldn't see that that was some really good thinking now the mom and me is freaking out like going oh my god like this is bananas like i can't believe my kids are going through this but if you just stay cool and let them express it and then you hug them at the end and say you know what it's over now it's done with it's it's not going to happen you know you know again this way and you did a really good job handling it both of you independently conversations with them they didn't carry that with them that that memory those trauma memories didn't get deep-seated into fear we didn't have nightmares we didn't have you know flashbacks they had some from other things but you know we were able to get some of those things before they took hold because these fear experiences these fear memories are like warts you know they grow really deep roots and you know to get them out later is so much harder than than you know hitting them when they're small we'll be back after the break with more tips and tricks on how to handle trauma in your family we'll be back after the break Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. I am beautiful. 
You heard the pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors—all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com/radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Did Scotch tape originate in Scotland? Nope. The popular gift wrapping tape was actually developed right here in the United States. In 1926, the Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing Company (3M) was being a bit rapacious, trying to save a little scratch or money, and started using a cheaper adhesive on their sticky tape. A Detroit automaker ordered some of this newer, cheaper tape to use for spray painting auto bodies, but the automaker complained because the tape was Scotch—a politically incorrect word that meant cheap or stingy. While the tape didn't have the adhesion to satisfy the automaker, it was hardly a jifujet. That's an unnecessary thing. It had many other uses, as we all know. So the tape was kept in production, and the name Scotch just stuck. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Lisa Rat McCall, and we're talking about handling trauma in childhood. And um, one of the things I found, Lisa, that you know was particularly important to me is, you know, as a struggling single mom with young children, therapy wasn't in the budget. You know, we were covered a little bit by our health care, but it wasn't great, and the, the services that we were eligible for weren't all that great. So I did turn to podcasts, I turned to YouTube videos, I turned to books, like anywhere I could to help not only my children, but as we went through the Department of Children and Family Services, I fell in love with other kids and families in my town. One particular family in my town, where both mother and father went to jail, the kids went into foster care. Down the street from me, and really, really great kids. You know, all kids are great until life beats them up enough, and they're not great. And one of the things that I found with that is, if you don't have money for a therapist. 
just try anyway. Try to reach these kids. Talk to them. Like, you don't have to have a PhD. You know, you don't have to have all these things to say, hey, what's going on? Or to say, wow, tell me about that. Like, oh, how was that? I agree. Um, There's a lot of things out there now that are free or low cost that, you know, are are at our fingertips. So um, any kind of play that you can get your child involved in, whatever they like it, cars, dolls, you know, cards, it doesn't matter. But while their hands are moving and their mind is slightly distracted with that, that's when you can ask a couple things about their day or what did they think about that or what did they do then and stay calm even though inside you may be freaking out or ready to scream or yell keep it calm and just ask a few questions don't judge just get them talking and you'll be surprised what they will tell you you know while you're playing this card game or whatever another great tactic is books nowadays there are specialty books for kids on just about every subject bullying death illness um, grief, oh, divorce. When dinosaurs divorce, absolutely. Was a, that one is a that when dinosaurs divorce was our nightly. You know, they yes. would point at pictures when they were little and say, "Hey, that's that's me," or "That's say that's how I feel, Mom." That's exactly how I feel when I go to Dad's house. It's a wonderful tool, and um, I used books all the time as well with my daughter, especially when her father died. Books became her best friend. There are workbooks even and coloring books on it, and she would read them. We would read them, but sometimes we we would go off course of the book, you know, and mm-hmm. she would start telling me different things that I never knew. I wouldn't have thought to ask. Um, so there are books now on just about everything that you can find, and those are wonderful and easy to use. They are. And, you know, I just want to say something like um, you're going to feel weird and stupid with these books. It's going to feel foreign. You're going to feel like you're not doing it right. You know, all those feelings came up when I first sat down with Dinosaurs Divorce. Like I wanted to cry myself reading the, you know, and I did. I cried like three or four times reading the book before I could even show it to the kids. And one of my kids really loved it. And the other hated that book. He's like, I hate that book. And you know, we finally got to the bottom of why he hated that book. And he said, because when it's in a book, it's real. And he's my avoider. (laughs) He's the one that, Mm -hmm. you know, could avoid things. And, you know, but I didn't have any training in any of this, I guess, Lisa, you have a lot of training in this. I didn't have anything. I had bubkiss, like, you know, and so I just tried. And I think, you know, if people would just try and let their heart lead them, you know, you're going to get some results. And even if you do it, quote unquote, the wrong way, the fact is, is you're acknowledging what your kid's going through and you actually acknowledge what you go through. Like my one son missed his father so badly that we had a calendar on the wall and he would X off another day that he made it without his dad because he really didn't know how he was going to deal without his dad. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he still remembers now at 15 years old. Hey, mom, do you remember that calendar with the big red X? on it every day we had a red x that got us through another day mm-hmm. and 
I don't know if that was right or wrong. Some shrink will probably tell me I screwed him up for life. But the fact of the matter is I did the best with what I knew at the time. He knew I was trying. I was trying. And that's enough. Right. That's enough. And you opened up that conversation and made it so that it's a safe conversation and it's allowed. We're allowed to talk about divorce or death or illness or bullying and we can talk about it. Whatever you say, I'm not going to get mad. It's your opinion. It's your feelings. And that's all okay. And that's the most important part. And at some point, the books get put down, like you said, and then we're just having a conversation on a Thursday and uh, about it. We don't need the books anymore. We don't need the props anymore. And we can just talk about it. And that's a huge part of getting kids through traumatic and difficult childhood events that we're talking about it, not making it a secret, not making it taboo, not making making it shameful. And when they know all that, they're fine. We don't have to be a professional or a perfectionist about it. Um, We're their parents and they love us no matter what we do. So I I think you're right. Just just dive in and give it a try. It's really going to help. It's really going to help. Well, yeah, because I got overwhelmed. You know, I would sign up for all these websites. I would look at stuff, and everybody was trying to sell me something. Here's the program that works. Here's the book that works. Here's the, and I was like, holy crap on a cracker. Like, I could spend my whole paycheck on all this stuff. And so I finally just did, like, the blind finger point. Okay, that's the one I bought. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is overwhelming. And you're you're in your own deal. You're in your own trauma. You're in your own management. You're in your own feelings and everything. So, like, I'm a big proponent of not making things more complicated than they are. But just try something. Start somewhere. And it'll be okay. Because, you know, we existed with families long before all these programs were out there. And yeah, sure, if you can afford them, great. If you can afford a therapist, great. But I'm more concerned with people like me at that time who didn't have that kind of money, who couldn't go and spend $200 to have family therapy. You know, that just wasn't in the the wheelhouse. And because we were rural and we weren't living, you know, we're up in the mountains over Los Angeles, the idea of getting somewhere down there to someone to help us That wasn't in the cards either with a full-time mom. So I'm kind of giving people permission to just start somewhere and just try. Because I think if your kids know you're trying, that's also part of it. They matter enough for you to try. Absolutely. You're hearing them, you're listening, you're cuddling up with a book, you're doing whatever, and that's fine with them. You're, You're having that conversation and they know that they're important to you. Some other things that, um, folks can try, which don't cost a lot, but things like drawing and coloring, uh, making pictures, doing crafts. Again, you can use it as keeping hands busy and they'll talk, or you can ask them to draw what they're feeling. Draw a picture of someone that they miss. Um, Draw a picture of their new family or what it's like at school and start a conversation through the art. For older kids, they can even do things like a diary or a journal that they can keep private or they could share if they want to. But that's another way to express feelings 
and talk about things. The last thing we want to do is stuff these down and pretend it didn't happen. We want to have that conversation or at least get them to express themselves. Kids can make music. They can sing. If that's what they're into, let them do it that way. That's fine. Singing songs, writing songs, making music, banging on a drum. Um, oh, the balloon pop! Feel, uh, yeah, we used to, when my kids yes. would come home from their step house, they were so frustrated. You know, it was just beyond them that they could handle it. And I used to blow up all these balloons, and we'd throw them in the living room because it was like the ninety-nine cent store—a package of balloons. You blow them up, and they had to jump around on them and pop them. And the process mm-hmm. of jumping and popping and you know, like smacking down on them, then they would turn around and tell me, "This is what happened, and this is why I'm mad." Yeah, yeah, it gets them talking, gets them talking. It's wonderful. Um, For adults, there's no reason that you can't do some of these things, too. There's adult coloring books now. They're all over. They're very cheap and free on the Internet. There's also um, relaxation techniques that are free online. Someone will guide you through it, or there's relaxing music where you can learn to relax yourselves, your your body, your muscles, one muscle group at a time. It's great for kids as well as adults. So there's those things. And finally, there are meditation and relaxation apps that you can download on your phone. Some of these are like $1.99 or $2.99, um, simply being headspace, calm. So you can have it right on your phone for you and or your child to listen to some calm meditation, music, relaxation. So all of those are good things too. And sometimes conversations begin after we're a little bit more relaxed as well. Yes. The walking conversations were big. We would take the dogs for a walk. Didn't cost us anything. Everybody got healthier. Everybody got fitter. And we just would walk. And I used to call it my trail of tears because the minute I'd start walking, about five minutes into it, my tears would turn on. I'd tell my dog, Sally, everything's going on. I'd come back a different person. And, you know, if you can walk, walking's a good one. Well, you know what? I got to wrap it up. We're visiting today with Lisa Rapp McCall. We're talking about trauma in childhood. Lisa, how can people learn? more about you if they want they can come um, and see the saint leo university website and if you would like to learn more about traumatic events in childhood go to cdc.gov you got it we'll be back again next week with another great show Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Motherhood Talk